This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne Goldsmith, we uh, missed him last week, but he's back on deck today. And of course, we forgot all about daylight saving, didn't we, Wayne? So it's earlier than usual. I'm pro- you probably didn't expect our call for another hour or so. How are you? Yeah, oh, going fantastic, mate. Look, I'm I'm very blessed in my life. I've got wonderful children. I live in a wonderful place. But you know, the highlight of my week <laughs> is listening listening to you trying to pronounce those French names in the soccer. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I know. I've uh, look. I, it's taken me many years to get to that point. Uh, maybe one day I'll get them right. Uh, good on you, mate. Hey, nice to chat to you. Thanks for joining us as always. Um, I want to talk today about something which is fairly topical: the World Track and Field Champs on at the moment in Doha, Qatar. Uh, in your words, in the email you sent to me, in the ridiculous heat, uh, endurance events at midnight, athlete welfare compromised, all in the interests of money and politics. Uh, an overarching view, Wayne, should, you know, in a perfect world, would events like the World Track and Field Champs be allowed to be held in places like this? Well, no, they wouldn't. And that's this is one example of many, many over a long period of time of ridiculous decisions made by international federations and the IOC and the real big players in sport. And it... it I've been lucky in my career, Piney, that I've worked directly with some of those guys at that International Federation and Olympic level, and I know the way they think and the way that they prioritise sport. And it's a long, long way from some kid running around an athletics field down in Dunedin on a Tuesday night because they love the sport. It's it, they, they they look at sport really as a commodity as a product and as an opportunity to make a hell of a lot of money. And as one international federation director told me once, we see athletes as tools for us to achieve our objective. And I mean, I nearly threw up when I heard it, but that's the way they think. That is an incredible statement to make. However, do you think athletes at the elite level, if they don't agree with that, at least realise that? I think you go through a, a like all of us. Uh, I, I think you go through a phase early on where sport is, as you and I have spoken many times, fun, friendships, family, exercise, engagement, enjoyment, the experience of sport. You go through a phase when you do it because you love it and you love being around your friends. Then you go through a phase. I think where you think, oh, I might have a crack at this. I, I don't. I don't I like it. I think I'll try and get good at it. And you train and you prepare and, and you get up to national level and you go from being a competitor to actually someone who's a serious challenger for medals and making teams, and then you're on the international stage. And you start to look at things and say, hang on a minute, this isn't what I signed up for. This is really cutthroat. This is very tough. This is very demanding and challenging. I'm being told that I can't wear this, I have to wear that, because 
their sponsor conflicts. And the, you start to realise that it's a lot bigger and a lot more complicated world than the one that you signed up for. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why so many young athletes don't succeed in international level is that when they actually get there, they realise that sport's a lot more than just sport and it becomes something maybe they didn't. But look, I, I think some of these athlete representative groups that are in different sports and certainly the Athletes Commission on the IOC, I, I think the understanding and the influence athletes try to exert has grown. But when it comes down to it, the decisions are still made by people like the ones I like to watch in my favourite show, The X-Files, made by faceless men in dark suits in in cold rooms. I think it's still very much about that when it comes down to it. So we understand money, TV, sponsorship, sales, product endorsements, all of those things. We understand them, and, and I guess athletes come to understand and accept them. But what about welfare of the athletes, Wayne, when competing somewhere like this can have a detrimental effect on their welfare on their well-being, on their health. Yeah, it's tragic, isn't it? Because it's it'd be like saying, I don't know, Game of Thrones. It'd be like saying to uh, the producers, the the funders of Game of Thrones, I know what we'll do. Let's make the actors work 20 hours a day and give them terrible food and deny them sleep. And let's can you imagine in any other industry? where they'd say, look, we're making a lot of money out of this product, you know, this Game of Thrones show. The people who actually do it, the the people are out there who are the faces of the show, who people are turning on to watch, the people with the talent, let's make their life as hard and horrible and difficult as possible. But it, it would be insane. To, why do people watch sport? To see the athletes. You, you turn on to see, you know, the great All Blacks. You turn on to see... The great swimmers, the great runners, the great rowers, you turn on to see those stars, they are the product. They are the talent. They are the the genius that everyone wants to... Why would you even consider for a moment doing anything other than putting their welfare first? But for some reason, mate, for some reason, the international federations don't see that. They see the... They almost see the athletes as, as superfluous to the sport. It's it's so terrible, and it, it's insane. It was like a school teacher joke with me once. She said, you, said, you know what, school would be great if it wasn't for the students. <laughs> if you just turned up <laughs> and hung around with each other and drunk coffee, it would be a fantastic job. And I mean, she was joking, of course. But that's the attitude, right? It, it's, it's, yeah, well, these world championships, they'd be really good. Um, except for those bloody athletes who you want cool, dry conditions and great <laughs> environments. And, you know, if, if it wasn't for them, this Olympics would be a lot of fun. It would be fantastic for us just to turn up and cruise around in our yachts. and it, it's, uh, it's really terrible. It, it doesn't make any sense. Apparently the stadium at Doha, where, where most of the events are happening, is, is air-conditioned, comfortable enough to watch sport in. But... Nobody's turning up either, Wayne. The the stands are empty. You've linked me into an article this morning uh, which talks about an athlete uh, going out to compete and looking up to wave to his family and, and them being easy to spot because there's only about 1,000 people in a stadium that's designed for 40,000. See, once again, doesn't the sporting experience take a massive hit when you see a basically empty stadium like that? Well, mate, you, you and I know what's coming, all right? So the 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 women's 100 was on the other. One of the absolute, as they say, blue ribbon events in the, the sport of athletics. And like, there's no secrets. Athletics around the world is a bit of a basket case. Australia.
New Zealand. The numbers are, are probably fallen as much or more than any other Olympic sport. They desperately need help and they really need a, a kick where they've got some stars to watch and, and events that inspire the hearts and minds of young athletes. They really need this. And there was a 1,000 people in Doha, 1,000 people at the women's 100 final. And I just read something this morning from the UK press that said the television audiences are abysmal. So where the sponsors are getting no, no promotion for it. There's no one watching it live. It's doing nothing for the sport. We're seeing athletes, even the other night from the marathon, started at midnight, and, and half the field in the, in the 50K walk either ended up in hospital or certainly on drips and emergency support. I mean, it, it looks terrible for the sport. There's no television audiences. There's no live audiences. It's completely backfired on them. However, what the IAAF and, and what uh, the local groups will do is they'll say, well, you know, there was some complicating political issues. It was the wrong time uh, of the year for the American broad. That, mate, they will, start, they will spin it and spin it and spin it because there's a much bigger thing coming up in a couple of years in the same venue, which is the FIFA World Cup. And the, the corruption and the, the political issues around the FIFA World Cup, I mean, just Google... Uh, FIFA World Cup um, corruption issues 2022 and uh, Google almost jumps off the screen and strangles you. There was so much written about it and, and you know, so they've got to spin what's happening now, not just for athletics, but they've got to do all they can to ensure that the FIFA World, which is the second biggest sporting event in the world and fractionally only behind the Olympics, uh, they've got to make sure that its reputation and its possibility for success is not impacted on. So, mate, watch for the spin coming thick and fast in the next couple of days. Oh, look, and, and the FIFA World Cup, you know, as you say, it's almost as though even in the face of, of undeniable evidence of corruption, as you've said, Wayne, and I've sort of uh, kept a close eye on this being a football fan myself, um, it, it's like now as fans and, and as football people and as sports Followers, we almost throw our hands up and say, "Yeah, well, we know it's corrupt, but what can we do? They're not going to award the World Cup to anybody else now. It's going to be in Qatar. It's almost like we just accept this stuff now, which, which you know, much as it's uncomfortable, um, is almost what we have to do. It's almost inevitable, isn't it? It, it's, it is sad, and I can only talk about some of the sports that I know where things turn around. It has to be led by the athletes. That's. That's the one thing that I've learned. That you, the, the, I know some people, for example, in swimming New Zealand, there are some good people there and, and well-intentioned. But in terms of their power to change international swimming, they're very limited. However, if the athletes stand their ground and the athletes say, we will not put up with this and we will not compete, and if you keep going down this road, Fina, in their case, we will not go to world championships. We will not go to Olympic Games. We, if the athletes dig their heels in, everything can turn around. And if you look at the way that even tennis, I mean, tennis players were being treated terribly 20 years ago, and it was really the tennis players' associations and, and the players' groups that turned it around. And if you look at the influence of the players' groups in rugby and rugby league and AFL, they've, they've strengthened cricket as well. They've strengthened their position. They've been treated more equitably. They get better pay packets. They get higher percentage of television revenues. It has to be driven by athletes. And one of the things that's happening in swimming at the moment 
around the world is there's a rival. They're calling it a rebel because, of course, mate, we know there's only two sorts of people in the world. There's Jedi and, and Sith. Uh, you're either with the dark side or the light side, but and the athletes are always the light side in my book. But there's a group of Jedi swimmers at the moment around the world pushing and swimming and competing in an alternate swimming international swimming competition because they've said, we're not going to take this rubbish anymore. We're not being treated fairly. We believe everything's corrupt. And there's an alternate competition which is being funded at the moment in different parts of the world. And once the athletes stand up and the athletes stand their ground and feel emboldened to speak their piece and stand up against corruption, everything changes. But the sporting federations at international level rely on that not happening and having a big stick saying, well, you know, if you stand up against us, you won't get this and we'll deny you the opportunity to do that. As always, it takes one, or like this whistleblower in the United States, it takes one brave heart to stand their ground and saying, no, it's not acceptable and we will not support it. And then they have to change. Mm. It, it's tough, though, isn't it, as you say, Wayne, because, you know, the, the World Cup for footballers is the pinnacle event. They might only get one crack at it. Um, you know, stick your head above the parapet and uh, get it knocked off and don't get to go to a World Cup. And is that worth is that worth it? I guess that's the internal dilemma for, for many of these elite sports people. And, and in every element of life, mate, isn't it, without getting too philosophical on a, what is it, about 5 a.m. on a... Uh, Wednesday morning, <laughs> but uh, with, mate, without getting too philosophical, I mean, that's a decision all of us have got to make in our life. All of us know in our workplace and uh, our amateur junior sporting clubs, you know, we see evidence of corruption and kids being selected by committee members who are their parents and uh, officials overstepping their line in support of their club against another. I mean, we see corruption and, and unacceptable behaviour at all levels. And it, again, requires individuals to stand up and say, no, it's unacceptable. It stops now. And regardless of the outcome, to me personally, I refuse to accept this level of corruption, deceit and poor behaviour. And that's the way the world has always changed. And there was a great, wonderful quote I like to use is, um, all change comes from unreasonable people. So the people we feel who are unreasonable, because the ones who stand their ground and fight against corruption and deceit and bad behaviour. The Jedi in this world, those people are initially regarded as a little bit crazy and and uh, coming up with all kinds of weird theories about conspiracies and so on. But in the end, a change is made by unreasonable people standing their ground against the things we know are not right. Good on you, Wayne. Well, not as hot uh, on the Gold Coast, I'm sure, as in Doha. Still very comfortable, though, I'm, uh, I'm certain. So thanks for getting up an hour earlier than you normally would for us. And um, and having a chat, we uh, look forward to doing it again next Wednesday. Very much look forward to it, mate. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.